This episode of TGC Podcast is sponsored by Acts 29 with an invitation to their 2024 Next Conference happening April 15th through the 17th in Dallas, Texas. You don't want to miss this great lineup of speakers, including Sam Albury, Matt Chandler, Brian Loritz, John Piper, and more. The Next Conference will equip and encourage church planters and church leaders of all types for church ministry. To learn more and register for Next, visit acts29.com slash next. TGC podcast listeners will receive a special discount of $20 off registration prices by using the code TGC. Again, visit acts29.com slash next. That's acts29.com slash next. Hey, TGC podcast listeners. Today's episode features a keynote message from TGC's 2023 conference. You can also access more TGC 23 conference media and micro event sessions in the meantime, right after this episode. Simply visit tgc23.org slash watch or click the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Gospel Coalition Podcast, equipping the next generation of believers, pastors, and church leaders to shape life and ministry around the gospel. On today's episode, you'll hear a keynote message from Miguel Nunez, originally given at TGC's 2023 conference. It is a privilege for me to be here for many different reasons and The primary one is to have the ability or the opportunity to speak the Word of God to the people of God for the glory of God. Last night, Pastor John began his his message in the first book of the Bible, the first book of the Pentateuch. He began with Abraham about, about 500 years before the Exodus, I will begin my message in the last book of the Pentateuch, and I will start with Moses at the end of that, of this event that we are all speaking about. Forty years into the desert, right before crossing the Jordan River, uh, Moses spoke to the people on behalf of God, and here are some of his words in chapter 8. Verses 2 and 3. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you into the wilderness these 40 years in order to humble you, putting you to the test to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you go hungry and fed you with the manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, in order to make you understand that man shall not live on bread alone, but man shall live on everything that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. God knew that from the beginning. They didn't. God has spoken to Abraham, as we heard last night, about a promised land for the people of God. They just didn't know that the way from point A to point B was going through B, through the wilderness, with all the heat and dryness and the challenges of those places. 
Now, you need to know that in the Bible, the wilderness is frequently the place God chooses to do his best work on his people. The Israelites were taken there, as we heard last night and even this morning. Moses spent 80 years in the wilderness. John the Baptist was raised there. Even Jesus was taken there by the Spirit of the Lord to be tempted by Satan. And it is possible that Paul went to the Syro-Arabian desert for three years. The best of the best had been in the desert. In barren places, you learn to trust and obey God. There, God is the only recourse and resource. The, the, wilderness, the wilderness may be painful, but it's always, always necessary. You, you don't go through meaningless, meaningless experiences when God is leading you. That just doesn't happen. As Spurgeon said in one occasion, if there was a better way to take you from where you are to the place God wants you to be, divine love will have you there. And that the reality is that we get to know God better in the middle of difficult times. The um, Egypt or the world around us is just too crowded, it's too noisy and too full of temptations for us to see him. So we get to see God better in places like the one that these people are already walking through. And the theme of the title of my message is God's provision for the wilderness, based on Exodus chapter 16. And I want you to go there with me so we could read it together, but I will read only from verse 1 to 12. Then they set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. But the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pot of meat, when we ate bread until we were full. Really? For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this entire assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people should go out and, and gather a day's portion every day so that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, at evening, you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your grumblings against the Lord. And what are we 
that you grumble against us. And Moses said, this will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to, to the full in the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings, which you grumble against him. And what are we? You grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, come forward before the Lord, for he has heard your grumblings. And it came about, as Aaron spoke to the entire congregation of the sons of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. I want you to see in the text that I just read three things. The design of the wilderness, the design of the wilderness experience, the design of God's provision, and the design of God's revelation of himself. You will see all three intertwine as I expose the message, but let's begin with the design of the wilderness experience. The people of God had arrived to the wilderness of sin only 30 days after they crossed the Red Sea, according to Numbers 33.3. This is only one of seven wildernesses mentioned as the Israelite journey from Egypt to Canaan. Not one, but seven. Seven different places where there was nothing. Soon after, they arrived to this first wilderness, they started to grumbling. We have read about their grumblings in three other occasions before chapter 16. This time, there is a word that makes a difference. It says that the whole congregation joined in the grumbling. As one author says, murmuring is one of the most contagious diseases known to men. This became the pattern for the next 40 years. Unfortunately, it has continued to be the same, the same way until today among the people of God. Now, I'm told, we are told that the word translated there at the beginning, grumbling, uh, in the original, means more something like an open rebellion. Listen, verse 3, the sons of Israel said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the, hand in the land of the Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread until we were full, for you had brought us out, out into this wilderness to kill this entire assembly with hunger. Do you notice that suddenly Egypt was not a place of bondage and slave drivers? but rather a place of plenty of meat and bread. And that is what happened when, when the spirit of grumbling in, um, overcomes you, or overpowers you, 
You glorify the past, you condemn the present, even when God is being good to you. Their minds were so clouded by their sin that they said to Moses, your intention is to kill all of us. Their, their anger at this point predisposed them against the kindness of God. And it is no different with us. Brothers and sisters, there, there is an anatomy and a physiology of sin. There is a structure of how sin is, and there is a function of how sins, uh, that sins follows. Remember that they were taken from Egypt to the wilderness to serve the Lord. But now they are saying we would rather go back to Egypt and serve Pharaoh. We would rather do that. And in the 40 years that they spent in the wilderness, you don't find one single expression of gratitude to the Lord, not even one. Neither do you find one single occasion when they pray or cry out to the Lord. No, they prefer to complain to Moses and about Moses. Two, two things to keep in mind about our grumbling. Complaining is nothing more than the external expression of an internal ungratefulness. A, a complaining heart usually is not a praying heart. Those two things don't go together. And number three, a complaining spirit always, always indicates a problem in our relationship with God. I think Phil Riken says that in his commentary on Exodus. If God brought them out to show them what was in their hearts, 30 days were sufficient to have their hearts in full display. 30 days, one month out of 40 years. So are you seeing the design of the wilderness experience in, in God's hand? Complaining is the normal reaction of the self-centered heart and is the way people live when they forget that you don't get to the wilderness by accident. And we heard that in the previous message already. God, not Moses, led them there time and again. Listen to verse 6. Then Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. The Lord, not Moses. Now God brings you to the place where he wants you to be. And you heard that also in the previous message. Because that is the place where you need to be. God takes you to the place where he wants you to be for one reason. Because that is the place where you need to be, to, to be conformed to his image. Now, how does he do it? Well, in the heat of the wilderness, that heat melts the idols of our heart and many, others, many other experiences as well. They knew from the beginning that God has taken them 
there to the wilderness, but they kept accusing the wrong person, Moses, Aaron. And that is the way it is. We usually complain against the circumstances or the people we think have afflicted us. And then we complain. But we should never forget that everything follows the purpose of his will. Everything, every molecule in the universe follows the purpose of his will. And the wilderness experience follow, follows his design. Verse 8. And Moses said, this will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread, to f- and bread to the full in the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings, which you grumble against him. And that, what are we? Your grumbling are not against us, but against the Lord. You see, our church has heard many, many times that every event in history, even if it is your personal history, has two readings or interpretations all the time, including this time when I am here. One is at the horizontal level, and the other one is at the vertical level. So at the horizontal level, they complain against Moses, and and they receive that. At the vertical level, the complaints, the grumblings were against the Lord. So we saw the design of the wilderness. Now I want you to see not only that design, but also the design of God's provision. God provided them, but not randomly. He had a design, verse 10, while Aaron was speaking to the entire congregation of the Israelites, they looked out into the wilderness and saw the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. Can you imagine that all of us will, would walk out there and look to the horizon and suddenly there is the glory of the Lord showing up. God was about to provide them with manna, but, not, but, but before receiving the provision, he decided he will show his glory in the clouds. And that in itself was a gift. It was an underserved blessing. In fact, it was an incredible privilege. They didn't deserve such a glorious appearance in the clouds. Most people haven't seen anything like it. But God wants you and me to see his glory every time he intervenes. That that is a sign of his provision. No, No other people in the Old Testament experienced the presence of God so close and so powerfully as they did. None. And yet, they were never impressed by the power nor the generosity of the goodness of their God. Never. However, despite their ungratefulness and their grumbling, God was faithful and God was generous to them. Listen to verse 11 and 12. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I have heard the grumbling of the sons of Israel. 
speak to them saying, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, there was, a, there was on the surface of the desert something thin, like flakes, small, like frost, frost on the ground. Hmm. Even in the middle of their rebellion, the Lord was mindful of them. That, that is the way of a loving father to his children. In, in the wilderness and through God's provision, they not only saw his faithfulness, his generosity, his love, but also they saw his sovereignty. They saw that he was a sovereign Lord. There, in the middle of nowhere, in a barren place, he provided manna and quails. He, he sweetened the bitter waters of Marah in one previous occasion. He provided manna or bread from, from the clouds. He moved the quails in their direction. And there he provided water from a rock. Usually, birds don't fly into a crowd, but they did this time. A sovereign God knows no limits, no limitation. And he showed that for 40 years. Still, they were not impressed. In, in, in the design of his provision, we see a great contrast between his mercy and their grumblings, their ungratefulness and the providing hand of God, between the, their impatience and God's disposition, who is slow to anger. And even more, one more, the unteachable spirit of that generation versus the pedagogical heart of God with his children, always willing to teach them, always willing to, to have them learn some more about him, even after the worst behavior. Now, next time you are about to complain, never forget that when we speak down here, that is heard in heaven. Verse 7, for he hears your grumbling against the Lord. Verse, verse 8, for the Lord hears your grumblings, which you grumble against him. Verse 9, for he has heard your grumblings. Verse 12, I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Brothers and sisters, our grumblings are not ignored by God, even if we are in the wilderness. He, he, he understands that our grumbling, ultimately, it's against the providence of God. As one of the commentators says, God always takes grumbling personally for that reason. He, he is the one who, who takes you into the wilderness, who takes me into the wilderness to, to humble you, to test you to see what is in your heart and mind, 
and, and to teach me and you that man does not live by bread alone, but by everything or every word that comes from the mouth of God. So they fail time and again. Now, when Christ came, he too was brought to the wilderness by the Spirit. Uh, the uh, Gospel of Mark tells us that the Spirit took him there. And I understand that in the original, the word can be taken as he was pushed there. He was driven there by the Spirit to be tempted, tempted by Satan. Now, notice what happened with Christ. Christ humbled himself in the wilderness. He did not have to be humble. His heart was exposed to. He showed his total submission to the Father. And thirdly, he proved that man does not live by bread alone for 40 years. And when he spoke to Satan, basically says, it is written, it is written, it is written. Thank God for our mediator. They failed, he didn't. Now, when the manna came down, he didn't provide it randomly. Rather, his provision came with, with a design, which was the test. The design was the test. Let's read verse 4 again. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people should go out and gather a day's portion every day so that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. That I may test them. The provision of the manna put their hearts to the test. That that was the design. Now, a simple piece of bread showed their lack of trust in the goodness of God, a piece, a simple piece of bread, of bread. Does that remind you of anything? This is Eden all over again. They are a simple fruit. Prove the tendency of the creature to disbelieve the goodness of God every time that the creator imposes any limitation on his will. That happened in Eden, it happened here. In that wilderness surrounded by 360 degree of sand, you either trust God or you die and are buried, which is what happened to thousands of them in the 40 years. If the Bible teaches anything about human nature, says one author, it is that total trust and obedience are rare even in the most godly people. Wow. Adam and Eve, before they fell, there was no one godlier than them. Well, they didn't trust God totally, did not obey him in the same way either. Question is, why? Why is it that God, or rather that total trust in God, is so difficult? God gave us the answer. In Psalm 20, verse, Psalm 50, verse 21. Here he goes. You thought that I was 
just like you. That's why you don't trust me. That's why you don't believe me when I speak. That's why you think my words are not trustworthy because you know yourself and you project yourself into me, but you are the creature and now a fallen creature. I am the holy, glorious, majestic God, creator of heaven and earth. It is amazing that is always the goodness, the goodness of God that brings out the evil in us. It happened in the garden. It happened in the desert. The goodness of God brought out the evil in their hearts. Therefore, I say to myself all the time, be careful when you walk in trying times. Be careful. This time the Lord said, a day's portion every day of manna, no more. The instructions, the instructions were clear in verse 4. They were even more clear in verse 19. Listen to the text. Moses, Moses said, no one is to leave any of it until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. And some left part of it until the morning. And then you know what happened next. The manna became full of Worms. Now, let, let's keep exploring this design of, the, of God's provision. Let's drop down to verses 26 and 27. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. It's, it's like, you got that clear? So, on the Sabbath, there is no manna on the ground. Don't go out there. Verse 27, nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it. Were they surprised? They found none. Do you notice? First, don't keep any manna for the next day. They did. Then don't go out on the seventh day looking for bread. And once again, people did. Now, this is the Lord's reaction. Okay, this is the, uh, the, the, uh, the amazing, loving, incredible, good God of heaven. Then the Lord said to Moses, verse 28, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? And, and to think that there were 39 years and 11 months more of this. My goodness. At this point, the passion of an infinitely, infinitely loving God is running thin. Can you imagine that? So next time we are in the wilderness, let's remember that even though his passion is infinite, he's not willing to exercise it endlessly. It is infinite, but he's not willing to exercise that passion endlessly. Our Lord is, uh, is so slow to anger. But even then, our behavior can provoke him to holy wrath. I, I said at the beginning that God doesn't take people to the wilderness without a specific purpose in mind. So why does he do it? Well, he does it in the first place to the display his glory. 
They went out and they saw the glory of God in the clouds, even before the manna. It's like the manna is only a reflection of what you see in the clouds. He takes you there to purify your heart and mind, to realign our purposes with his, to strengthen our faith, and to remind us that this planet, this wilderness we are living in is not home. The best is yet to come. So hold on. Wait. Now, I realize as I look at the clock that the time is running quick. So before I bring the message to a close, let me make one more observation. Moses and the congregation of Israel did not behave in the same way. No, they didn't. The people complained to Moses and about Moses. Now Moses, in a couple of occasions, complained, but he went to God. He can take it. He went to God. And every time, God provided a solution for his situation. The first time, Moses, 70 men will help you. I will put my spirit in them. You came to complain to me. Thank you very much. I know what to do. So here's the answer. No, no wonder that the psalmist Establish the differences between Moses and the congregation. In 103.7, he made known his ways to Moses. But his deeds to the people of Israel. What? Yeah, Moses knew his ways. They knew his deeds. So the people came to know the miracles. Moses came to know the one behind the miracles that explained the miracle. And the reason for the miracles was the, the will of a sovereign, holy, merciful, just, and faithful God who runs the universe providentially from beginning to end. From beginning to end. So we saw the design uh, of the wilderness, or at least the design of the wilderness experience. We saw the design of the provision, the way God did it and why he did it the way he did it. I, I want you to see now, thoroughly, the design of his revelation. E every time God does something, he has one thing in mind, and Pastor Piper alluded to it last night. Verse 12, listen. I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Listen now, because this is the purpose of the revelation of God through these miracles. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Hmm. In other words, the, pur the purpose of the wilderness, the purpose of the parting of the sea, the purpose of the manna, the quails, the water from a rock, the appearing of glory in the clouds was so that you shall know that I am the Lord your God. That is the purpose. That is the design of his revelation. The question is why? 
And here's the answer. The unbeliever ignores God as Lord, creator, sustainer, judge of heaven and earth. So they need to know that I am God. The believer calls him Lord, but frequently denies his lordship by the way he or she lives. That, that is why Christ said on one occasion, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? So th this, this is a key phrase here. And, and again, Pastor Piper alluded to it the first night. They will know that I am the Lord. That phrase appears multiple, multiple times in the Old Testament. Exodus 6, 7, they will know that I am the Lord your God. 7, 5, they will know that I am the Lord your God. 14, 4, they will know that I am the Lord your God. They will know, 14, 18, they will know that I am the Lord. 16, 12, they will know that I am the Lord your God. And then Ezekiel picks up the phrase 54 times. He uses it. And sometimes it is referring to judgment brought upon unbelievers. When, they, when these things will come upon them, then they will know that I am the Lord, not their God. But at other times, in the book of Ezekiel, God uses the phrase, and announces that he has, uh, or says he has discipline, or will discipline Israel, and then they will know that I am the Lord. Brother, brothers and sisters, I don't think you and I want to be chastised to learn that he is the Lord. He is the Lord. Your God, my God. And then the phrase appears again in the book of Joel twice. And it's related to a, an incredible blessings that he's bringing to the people of Israel. He will shower those blessings at a future time when they finally obey. But as I bring this message to the very end, that phrase appears in a beautiful context in this book of Exodus in chapter 6 from verse 6 to 8. Let me read it to you. Say, therefore, to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the labors of the Egyptians, and I will rescue you from their bondage, I, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great judgments. Then I will take you as my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, it doesn't get any better than that. You will be my people, and you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the labors of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. This is my revelation. You are my people, and I am your God. Israel never knew how special it was to be the people of God. Israel never knew how special it was to have that God to be your God. And the same God, Lord, say to you and to me today, I am the one who saw their oppression in Egypt, and I see yours today.
I came down to rescue the Israelites, and I am the one who rescued you from your own sin. I protected them from the son, S-U-N, in the wilderness, but today my son, S-O-N, is your protection. I fed them with bread in the wilderness, but you have been fed with the bread of life. I fought their battles, and I fought yours too, today. I, I forgave them a number of times, and you and I have lost track of times, or, or lost track, or track, or how many times I have done it for you. I've lost track of it. I was for them, and I am for you now and to the end of the age. I gave them Moses as mediator, but I gave you my son. They celebrated the Passover at the beginning of, the, of their journey, but I gave you Christ as your Passover. The, the lamb of their Passover became the lamb of the cross who shed blood for you, for your sins and, and mine. Brothers and sisters, the manna was not their best provision in the desert. The best provision they had was God himself. They needed to learn that. They needed to learn that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The manna was only a symbol of the reality, and the symbol, the realities are always bigger than the symbol. The manna was only a tiny, minute symbol of the reality that was to come. That, that is why Christ, when he came in that, in that wonderful chapter, chapter 6 of the Gospel of John, he says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. And then you drop down to verse 48 to 51, I am the bread of life. Your fathers, here's the connection now, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down out of heaven so that anyone may eat from it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone he eats from this bread, he will live forever. Wow, could you imagine? Moses, Jesus, um, the lamb, one year old, we get Christ. The clouds protected them from the sun, S-U-N. The S-O-N, the Son of God, is our protection today. They, they drank water in the desert, and he ran out. And Christ is the living waters forever, who gives you eternal life and satisfy your thirst. Father, we, we thank you for feeding us even when we were not hungry for you. Forgive us when we eat the junk of the world that takes away our appetite. Lord Jesus, we, we, we confess 
that you are our best provision in life. When we have you, you are enough. Forgive us when we, when we forget that you shed your blood on Calvary for the sins that I still commit today. In the spirit of the living God, thank you for reminding me that we don't live by bread alone, but rather by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, our God. It is in Christ Jesus that we pray and we preach to his glory and for our joy in him. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Gospel Coalition podcast. Check out more gospel-centered resources at thegospelcoalition.org.